0: Heaven, thank you, Lord, once again for your faithfulness and your grace, your grace and your mercy, Lord, and the way that you love us and how your presence is in this place. And, Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, this uh, morning, Lord, as we begin a new series, that you uh, would just speak to our hearts. And I'm trusting that we're ready to receive uh, your word, Father. And, Lord, I, I decrease that you would increase I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say into every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's praise him. He is worthy, okay? I just want to thank uh, Brother Gil for preaching in my absence last week. So, Brother Gil, thank you so much. You did a great job. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to uh, Philemon. Uh, Chapter 1, not Philemon, uh, but uh, Philemon, right? Uh, Chapter 1, and it's only one chapter, and uh, today's text is verses 1 through 7. And today, we're going to begin, obviously, a new series from this little epistle, this little book, letter, just 25 verses that I'm calling Forgiveness, say Forgiveness. Now... To really understand the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon, we need to know the background and also the context in which Paul is writing. In this letter, this epistle was written by Paul. He wrote it while he was in prison in Rome to Philemon around 60 to 61 A.D. It's one of Paul's four prison epistles along with Ephesians and Philippians and also Colossians. In fact, Philemon and Colossians are companion Epistles. And Paul wrote Colossians the same time he wrote Philemon. But Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. And Philemon was written to one particular individual, which is Philemon, right? Uh, who was a, a part of the church of Colossae. Uh, so the book of Philemon is the shortest and most personal of all Paul's letters uh, with only 335 Greek words It's not just a personal letter, but it's a powerful letter. It's a powerful letter. There are three key people in this epistle. Uh, Paul, say Paul. And we know that Paul uh, wrote to Philemon to urge, uh, he wrote to Philemon to urge him, Philemon, to forgive and accept Onesimus as his brother in Christ. And there's Philemon. There's Paul. There's Philemon, uh, known to be uh, a wealthy businessman, a landowner, And a prominent leader in the church of Colossae. And he was wealthy enough to have a large house where the Christians met. Philemon had been saved under Paul's ministry. And probably in Ephesus there. But he owned at least one slave by the name of Onesimus. Say Onesimus. Now, Now since Philemon was a slave owner, I want to briefly say something about slavery in the Bible. About slavery in the first century in the Roman Empire. Now... I want to make it very clear that any form, any form of slavery is wrong. Amen? We can agree on that, right? Any form of slavery is wrong. Now, the slaves in the first century in the Roman world was not based on race. They were were treated more like employees than, than anything else. And slavery described in the New Testament times was very different from the cruel and also inhumane practices that took place in our own country in the 16th through 19th century, which was based on race, right? In the New Testament, some of the slaves were were doctors, uh, some were architects, some were hairdressers, actors, accountants, uh, managers, carpenters, secretaries, musicians, teachers, artists, and librarians. In short, almost all jobs could be and were filled by slaves. And it was, listen now, it was not uncommon for a master to teach a slave his own trade. In fact, some masters and slaves became really good friends. You guys with me so far. Now, now this begs the question, why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery more than it does? Well, I'll tell you why. You see, rather than a direct attack on slavery, Christianity disarmed, it unraveled slavery from within, say, from within, by radically changing the relationship between slaves and masters. Christianity undermined the evils of slavery by changing the hearts of slaves and the hearts of masters. And you see what we see in the Bible as it relates to slavery in the first century is that as as a Christian, if you are a slave as a Christian, you need to make the best of your situation as being a slave. and if you're a slave owner who then gets saved, then you need to come to grips that slavery is the wrong treatment of another human being, and that now A slave owner and a slave are now one in Christ. You guys with me? Galatians 3.28 says this. Paul writes this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one, say all one, in Christ Jesus. Got it? So we have Paul, we have Philemon, and then we have Onesimus. Say Onesimus. Onesimus, obviously, as we just stated here, was Philemon's slave, and Onesimus was not a believer, Um, he he stole money from Philemon and ran away and fled to Rome. Now, by stealing and running away from his master, Onesimus was a a double lawbreaker under Roman law, uh, which meant that he'd be punished severely, or even sometimes these slaves would be killed. They ran away from their owners. Now, through circumstances uh, not recorded in the Scripture, Onesimus met Paul in Rome. He ran away from Colossae. Think about it. Onesimus ran away from Philemon because he stole something all the way to Rome, okay? And uh, not recorded scripture, he met Paul there in Rome, okay? And Paul led him to Christ. Onesimus, from Colossae to Rome, 1,300 miles. And this guy traveled that long, that far, and he runs into Paul. Think about it. And Paul's under house arrest. He can speak to people outside the house there. So he probably was there listening to Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. Talk about the providence of God. Amen? About the providence of God. So since Paul knows both Philemon and Onesimus, what Paul is going to do is he's going to address with Onesimus, get this now, with Onesimus the need to ask for forgiveness. And he's going to address with Philemon the need to forgive Onesimus and to take him back and treat him like a brother, not a slave. And I want to tell you something. Listen now, Christians. Sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness, and sometimes we have to forgive. Amen? Now, listen, when we look at this amazing little Epistle, this little letter, one thing that should catch our attention is that 11 people are mentioned in just 25 verses. If you read the whole chapter, you know it's Paul, Timothy, Philemon, Phea, Archippus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And what this tells us, and I love this, is that biblical Christianity is a personal connection with people. Do you guys get that? A personal connection with people. Relationships are formed and relationships are important. And sometimes, say sometimes, those relationships have problems. Hurtful things are done and hurtful things are said and relationships become tense. You guys with me? And what is needed in that situation is the need to ask for forgiveness and the need to. Forgive. And you see, Philemon, the book of Philemon, models Christian forgiveness. It's emphasized. It's emphasized throughout the whole text. It's, it's a manifestation, I would say, a manifestation of Christian grace and forgiveness. Now, if you're safe, say amen. The priority of forgiveness is not only given in Scripture in principle, and not only given in parable, But it's given, also given in personal terms. And that's what we see in this book, the book of Philemon. And you see, the prodigal son was a parable, right? We know that. The king and the servant was a parable. And Jesus, he used parables to make a point. But Philemon is a true story. Say, a true story. Now, of all the subjects that Paul could have written about, why did he pick the subject of forgiveness? I'll tell you why. Because as believers, we are never more like God, never more like Christ when we forgive. Got it? Because that's the nature of God, and that's the nature of Jesus Christ. And when we read through the New Testament, we read, right, to be like Christ. Be like him, walk like him, live like him, okay? Live like he, you know, live like him and walk like him. Well, what does that mean? It means that to be what? Forgiving. Because Jesus was forgiving. That's his nature. The title of my message today is The Praise. Everyone say that. And today's text includes Paul's praise. Say Paul's praise for Philemon. But before that, let's look at Paul's greeting, okay? And this brings us right into point number one. Okay, got it. Number one is this Paul. So we get Paul, a beloved friend. Write that down. Say a beloved friend. Paul, a beloved friend. And let's look at verse one. Verse one. In verse one, hear what Paul does. Paul greets his beloved friend Philemon. And this letter was from the heart of Paul, right to the heart of Philemon. And it says this. Verse one. Paul. This is Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I want to stop there. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. I love how Paul introduces himself here, right? And by the way, this is the only epistle Paul begins by simply designating himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he's simply stating that he's a prisoner of who? Of Christ. Of Jesus, right? And you see, the Romans thought that he was a prisoner of Rome because they arrested and incarcerated him, but Paul didn't consider himself at all. To be a prisoner of Rome, or of Nero, or of negative circumstances, or of the religious leaders who started his legal troubles. Rather, he considered himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul characterizes his circumstances I love this as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul refuses and refuses, to characterize his circumstances as bad luck or fate. He claims to be a prisoner of Christ, a prisoner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I love about Paul was he refused to allow the chains to hinder his ministry. The chains were not obstacles to him, but he allowed them to become chains of opportunity. me. Paul considered his incarceration, his circumstances as part of his ministry To serve Jesus and to advance the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. You see, he made it clear that it was God. Say, it was God who was leading his life and that everything in his life had purpose. And by the way, friends, Paul accomplished more in prison than most Christians accomplish in a lifetime. And what comes to mind when you talk about circumstances and making the best of them is Johnny Erickson, jo- Erickson, Erickson Tata. And uh, p- she was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident, but she manages to write books and share the gospel all the while her body is imprisoned. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Our circ- Listen, Christians, our circumstances are opportunities. Say that. Our circumstances are opportunities. Question to you here this morning. What is your circumstance? What circumstance are you facing right now? What hardship? What situation are you facing right now? And are you allowing the chains of your circumstance to hinder what God wants to do in, through, and for your life? Or are you allowing the chains of your circumstances to be chains of opportunity for God's purpose in through and for your life? And we need to ask ourselves believers now, how can my circumstances be used to proclaim the gospel, and how can it be used to encourage others who are going through the same thing that I'm going through that you're going through? Circumstances are are our opportunities, amen? So again, what is it that you're going through? Sometimes we, we get bummed out about it, but hey, God allowed that circumstance in your life to spread the gospel, amen? I want to point something out. Let's go back to how Paul introduces himself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, right? Usually in his other letters, he introduces himself as Paul, an apostle called by God, or Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here he introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why? Because this is a personal letter. And you see, Paul wants to appeal to his friend not on a basis of his apostolic authority, but rather as a friend, rather as a brother in Christ. Paul wants to appeal to Philemon on the basis of having a heavy heart, not a heavy hand. Amen? Because Paul eventually wants to tell Philemon, you need to forgive this guy, man. You guys with me? Let's read on. And he says this, and Timothy, our brother. So it's obvious that Timothy had a connection to Philemon because uh, Paul introduces him as our brother. And We are not exactly sure what Timothy's connection was to Philemon, but it was obviously special. Then he goes this, to Philemon, our dear friend. In other words, beloved. Paul loved this man. Paul loved Philemon. Then he says this, and I love this, and fellow worker. Say fellow worker. Now, if you know about Paul's writings, if you know about Paul, he only used this term fellow worker in reference to hardworking, close friends, right, who worked with him in promoting and supporting the ministry. Now, remember, Philemon was a wealthy, in our introduction, right, we got this, he was a wealthy Uh, successful and influential businessman and apparently he was used he used much of his wealth and his success to help build God's church. And and he had been used by God to help support Paul's ministry, right? Paul's ministry, support Paul personally and Paul's ministry, right? And Paul loved him, loved Philemon and highly esteemed him as a fellow worker of God. So with that being said, question, are you a fellow worker of God? Are you known as one who is a fellow worker of God? In other words, one who promotes and one who supports the ministry of God. That, man, I'm in this for God. Okay, my heart is that I want to promote. I want to promote and support what God is doing in the life of the church. A fellow worker. Worker. And that's a high compliment when someone says, hey, you are a fellow worker of God's kingdom. Amen? Verse 2, to Aphia, say Aphia, he says, our sister. And so what Paul does, Paul identifies Aphia as the sister, right, that tells us that Aphia was a believer. Now, most scholars, and I, I have to agree with this, believe that she, Aphia, was Philemon's wife. And he says to Archippus, our fellow soldier, Archippus was also most likely Philemon and Aphia's son. Now, in Colossians, write this down, chapter 4, verse 17, Colossians 4, verse 17, Archippus is mentioned again. Philemon is never mentioned anywhere else, and neither is Aphia, but Archippus is mentioned, as Paul writes to the Colossian church, and he says this to, to Archippus in Colossians four, seventeen. Take heed to the ministry. Get that? which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So this young man was in the ministry, right? He was in the ministry. Now, we don't know uh, to what extent or what specifics, okay, but it's clear that he was in the ministry. I also want us to notice, okay, that Archippus is identified as a fellow soldier. Say, fellow soldier. The term fellow soldier is a military metaphor that does show Archippus as a warrior, as a soldier of God's kingdom. Got it? Now, if you're safe, say amen. Follow me. These military metaphors clearly teach us that our calling as believers in this world is not to a playground, but to a battleground. Right? We are in a spiritual We are in spiritual warfare, friends. You're in a battle. Every single day of your life as a believer, you're in the battle. And the enemy wants to tear us down. He wants to tear God's church down, God's people down. We're in a battle. Come on, we're in a battle, right? And we're in a battle, in a spiritual war, in spiritual warfare with this world and within within this world and with this world. We are fellow soldiers of God's kingdom. And because we are fellow soldiers of God's kingdom, we are to proclaim the truth, stand for the truth, and fight for the truth. And I believe Archippus did that. He was known as a soldier, a fellow soldier of God's kingdom. Amen? So what we have here are three family members, Philemon, Aphia, his wife, and Archippus, his son, who are key workers and key supporters of the ministry in the Colossian church. That being said, there is nothing more beautiful than seeing a family serve the Lord together. Yeah? Man, I tell you, there's just so much joy in that. That if your family is serving God together, man, it is awesome. This is what we have here, a family, right? A family. So this family is important, was important to Paul. Let's read on. If you're still with me, say amen. Let's read on. And to the church, say the church, that meets in your home. So the church met in Philemon's home, right? And it's clear that Philemon had a home large enough to house the church when it started. Now, when the early church began, they didn't have church buildings like we do, okay? They didn't have that. Um, You see, the Gentiles who got saved couldn't go in the synagogue, right? They couldn't go in the synagogue, and not to mention that the Christian church was under persecution. So the believers would meet in someone's home that was large enough to house the church. They call these house churches. And the Christians of the city would be gathered into different house churches with a city bishop overseeing the different house churches. Now, as the early church began to grow, they would eventually have church buildings as a place of common worship. But but for the the first two and a half centuries, there were no church buildings whatsoever. They met in homes. And it wasn't until the third century, around 250 A.D., that we have a record of the first Christian church building. Got it? So they met in homes until they began to be in buildings. Verse 3, if you're with me, say amen. Grace to you. I love this. Here we go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's customary greeting. And Paul took the Greek word charis, say charis, uh, right? Took the, word, the Greek word charis, grace. And the Hebrew word shalom, say shalom, peace. And what he did, he combined them together. Love that. He combined them together. And I believe Paul did this for two reasons. The first reason is this, to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. Isn't that cool? Right? To unite the Jews and the Gentiles. Because the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. Right? And the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. But when they got saved, he united them. Got it? And the second reason, and most importantly, is to get right into the message of the gospel. You see, grace is the source of our salvation. Peace is the result of our salvation. I'm going to say it again. Grace is the source of our salvation. Peace is the result of our salvation. Follow me here. Grace is positional. Peace is practical. And together they flow from God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. So you want the lesson? Here we go. Grace is always first. It is. Grace is always first. And it's important for you and I, friends, listen now, to point out that grace is always first, then peace. It's always in that order. It's grace and peace, or grace and truth. It's never grace and truth, or gra- or it's never peace and grace, or truth and grace. We cannot have peace or truth until we first have what? Grace. And when we know the grace of God, then we know the peace of God, we know the grace of God, then we know the truth of God. So grace is always first. Say that one more time. Grace is always first. Now, now notice, I want you to get this now. I mean, this could be a sermon in itself, right? Notice there are two critical theological themes that are developed here in the text. Let's read the text again: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and say and because that's key. I'll point that right now. I'll point that out in a a bit here. And the Lord Jesus Christ. It's significant to point out that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right, are, listen, listen, are connected together with a coordinate conjunction. Coordinating conjunction. Okay, the word and. What this means is there is co-equality in the Godhead members, and co-equality in the impartation of these two theological realities. Follow me. Simply said this way. That little conjunction, and, and, proves Jesus Christ is God. And proves His deity. Don't you love that? Okay, that's one way you can prove that Jesus is God. Through right through coordinating conjunction, the word and. Now, I love what Paul's doing here. He's reminding Philemon that Philemon has already experienced God's grace and peace, right, through Jesus Christ. And therefore, Philemon now, listen now, is expected to extend his grace and peace to a slave, now a brother who has wronged him. You see how Paul's setting this up? (laughs) We'll get get in this next week, okay? He's setting this up. Yes, amen, amen. So we now come to the part of the text where Paul praises, say praises, Philemon. Point number two is Philemon, a faithful man. Say that. Philemon, a faithful man. Paul praises Philemon for what? Being a faithful man. Verses 4 and 5. Here we go. I, I love this I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I want to stop there. The the highest praise Paul could have given a Christian leader was claiming to personally thank God for him or her. Amen? And here we see Paul is doing this on a regular basis for Philemon. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. Okay? But I hope people thank God as they remember me in their prayers. Right? Amen? I mean, don't you hope, right, that people thank God, right, thank God as they remember you in their prayers? How awesome is that, right? Now, this is why Paul always thanks God as he remembers Philemon in his prayers. Look at verse 5. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, that's agape love, Right? For all the who? Saints. Listen, listen. Philemon's faith and love wasn't just something that he theologically contained in his head. He put feet to his faith in Jesus and feet to his love for Jesus that spilled over, over to his fellow believers. Amen? Because faith and love, say faith and love are expressed in real relationships. If you're saved, say amen. Our love for Jesus is shown for all to see, all to see, by our love for one another. Now, in our last series, Authentic, from John's Pistols, John reminded us, all Christians, say all Christians, that the best evidence of true friendship, of true fellowship, of true relationships is true love for one another. Remember what Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you carry Bibles, you carry Bibles. Huh? If you quote scriptures, huh? if you have love for one another. If you're safe, say amen. We should be known for being faithful. Say faithful. Known for our, listen, for our faith in Jesus and for our love for Jesus that spills over to those around us. I also want to point this out, that Philemon's reputation for his faith in Jesus and love for Jesus and for loving his fellow believers encouraged Paul to believe that Philemon would also show his love to Onesimus. Now, Paul not only praises Philemon for being a, a faithful man, but also, number three, Philemon, a fruitful man. A fruitful man. Not just a faithful man, but a fruitful man. Say that. Point number three, a fruitful man. Verse six. If you're loving this, say amen. I am. I pray, there's that word pray, that you may be active in sharing your faith. Don't forget that phrase, okay? So that you will have a full understanding, in other words, a right knowledge of every good thing we have or share in Christ. You see, you see, the phrase be active in sharing your faith, the phrase sharing your faith, it's not referring, get this now, it's not referring to actively witnessing or to actively sharing the gospel, though we should be witnessing. And though we should be sharing the gospel, right? Now, to fully understand what be active in sharing your faith means, I want to read the text again, but from the New American American Standard Bible. It says this, And I pray that the fellowship, say fellowship, of your faith, that's a key word, may become effective, through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. The New American Standard Bible renders it most accurately for the word is koinonia pistos. Koinonia pistos. It means the fellowship of the faith. In other words, that intimate fellowship and communion that you and I have with one another. You got it, say got it. You see, Paul, what Paul's doing here, Paul is praying for effective, get this now, fruitful koinonia by Philemon. And Paul doesn't want Philemon thinking for a minute that he can live like a passenger just in the church, right? Okay, there ought to be koinonia. There ought to be fellowship, sharing, partnership. In other words, give and take in Philemon's life and in the lives of his fellow believers. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm praying, Philemon, that as you fellowship, I'm praying, Philemon, that as you share that koinonia, pistos, that koinonia with the saints, the result is going to be an understanding of every good thing that you and I have in Christ. Isn't that true? This is so true. Fellowshiping with other believers is so, listen now, so vital to growing in Christ. So vital to growing in our faith, right? Vital to fully understanding the Christian life. This is why, believers, you need to find yourself weekly or daily fellowshiping with other believers. Amen? What Paul's doing, Paul is teaching us that the full knowledge—that full knowledge—happens when we're together in fellowship with the people of God, sharing what we learn from our study in God's Word, giving out the riches of our experience by being in God's Word and sharing God's Word with one another. And we see this happening in the early church in Acts two forty-two. There are four things that we see them doing that we need to imitate if we are going to have fellowship and move in power. Amen? Next, 2.42, and they what? They were continually, say continually, it was an ongoing thing, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, doctrine, and here we go, and to fellowship. Koinonia, to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. And some believe that the breaking of bread is not just taking of the elements, but also breaking bread and having a meal with another believer. Amen? Listen, if a church or individual doesn't have these four things regularly in their lives, they cannot move in power. They cannot live in victory. They are not living in Cornelia. We need these things in our lives. Amen? And as we we learn about the Word of God, as, as we fellowship, as we break bread, and as we pray together, there's something powerful about that. We're growing together. Amen. It's that koinia pisto. So here's a lesson. Ready? Here's a lesson. Growing and sharing. Say that. Growing and sharing. The more that you and I as believers become aware of the things that Jesus has put inside us, the more active, say active. We should be coming and sharing the good things, the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. I appreciate you, Glow. Every morning, Sunday morning or Wednesday night, Glow is always telling me something about the Word. And we just, she's just sharing with me the Word of God. Amen? Many of you brothers here, Brother Rudy, many of you here just share the Word of God. Brother Rick shares the Word of God. Just shares the Word of God. Amen? And that's what we call about Koinonia Fellowship. It's sharing and growing together about what Christ is doing in my life, what Christ is doing in your life, and guess what? We're growing together. This is what Paul is talking about. Amen? Verse 7. Your love has given me great joy. That's agape love and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Philemon was a fruitful man who refreshed the hearts of those around him. His, his love and what he did brought great joy and encouragement to Paul. He, he was, you know, Philemon was an encourager. He was a lover of God's people. He loved Jesus. Okay, He's making his love and his trust concrete in the way that he serves those in the body of Christ how he loves those in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, listen, friends, here's what the local church looks like in the life of a Christian. It's giving ourselves. It's giving of ourselves to serving one another. It's giving of ourselves to encouraging one another. It's giving of ourselves to refreshing the hearts of the saints. Amen? Amen. You see, Philemon's love and faith toward Jesus is accompanied by a love and faith that overflows, it bursts, it banks, it flows out toward all saints to the deep refreshment of their hearts. And this is exactly what Philemon did. This was his reputation. This was what he was known for. Question, what are you known for? What are you known for? Huh? If people were asked what you are known for, What would they say? Eh, eh, eh. Or man, talk about that brother. Man, he refreshes my heart. Talk about that sister. Man, she refreshes my heart. What would they say about you? Here's a lesson. Ready? Refresh the saints. Say that. Refresh the saints. We need to refresh those around us. You need to. So one of God's purposes for every believer, one of his purposes, many purposes, right? But one of his purposes for every believer is that he or she be refreshment to others. Question, when was the last time you refreshed somebody in their faith? If you have to think, it's been too long. Yesterday I went to go get a haircut, obviously, right? And um, praise God. And um, the guy who cuts my hair is a very uh, dear friend of mine and a brother in Christ. He attends our church. And I sat down. And there was there was other customers around there, and I sat down. And he came and sat down ready to cut my hair. And he says, Pastor, how how's mom? He says, how are you? And I just broke down. I broke down in tears. And I wept like I have not wept in a long time. Right there in the shop. And um, he just put his arm around me. And he came close to my ear. And he said the most amazing prayer. That just refreshed my heart. And I got to tell you, I was so refreshed for the rest of the day into this morning. Perhaps there's someone that you know that just just needs refreshment. And boy, I need it. I am emotionally drained. And I just need that, you know, that surge, right? And uh, I thank God for that brother who was obedient to God's Holy Spirit. I want you to write this down, 2 Corinthians 7.13. 2 Corinthians 7.13. And Paul writes, by all this we are encouraged, say encouraged, in addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 through 18. We're almost done here. Paul says, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed. Say that. My spirit and yours also. He says this, such men deserve recognition. Who do you need to refresh today? Perhaps you need refreshment. I don't know. But there's something powerful when we see the needs of others and we refresh one another in the Lord. Amen. They refresh my spirit, Paul says. In yours also. I wonder if that could be said about me about you, do we spiritually refresh our brothers and sisters in Christ? But Lehman did, and so should we. Amen? Let's stand.